Did you know that over 60,000 new tracks are uploaded to Spotify every single day? That's a new track every 1.4 seconds, and that's just on one platform. With so much music now available, it's more important than ever to stand out from the crowd. So it's not surprising that more artists are starting to use less conventional sonic textures in their music, like field recordings. Perhaps you've always wanted to infuse the sounds of nature or your favourite city into your own tracks, but not having the right gear or knowledge might have held you back. Well, if that's the case, you're going to love the brand new guide I just created, teaching you how to start field recording with just a smartphone. And it's all yours for free at femalediymusician.com forward slash learn with Isabel. Yep, you really do just need a humble smartphone and some minimal extra gear that doesn't have to break the bank to get started with field recording. And I've laid it all out in this handy five-point checklist. So download it for free at femalediymusician.com forward slash learn with Isabel and elevate your music to the next level. Nothing has ever fulfilled me as much as you know, putting the marker on loop in that like same like five, six, eight bars, whatever, and just playing it on loop for hours before anyone's ever heard it or has had any opinion of it. And you're just in the studio with your headphones on loop, like like a disease, dancing at the possibilities of what you've created and feeling fulfilled and feeling heard and feeling like you understand yourself through this music. Like... I'm so glad that I've had to learn this skill from survival because it is what keeps me alive. Hello and welcome to Girls Twiddling Knobs. My name's Isabel and over the last decade, my self-produced and self-released music has amassed over 25 million Spotify streams. I also have a PhD in sonic arts, but I wasn't always this confident with music tech. In fact, I still hear those self-doubt gremlins in my head from time to time. I started this podcast to help more female-identifying musicians start recording and producing their music and learn from other women making music with technology. If that's your cup of tea, then you're in the right place, my friend. Let's dive in. Well, hello, knob twiddlers, and welcome back to another episode of Girls Twiddling Knobs. As this episode goes out live, we're coming to the end of another year, and I'm really looking forward to some well-earned rest. But we're not quite there yet, because I have an amazing guest interview for you today. And I'm really not joking when I say amazing. This week's guest is so passionate and inspiring, because recording and producing as a woman is still pretty unusual in music, but in the context of the Middle East... It's a downright protest, as this week's guest, Blue Pfeiffer, explains. Now, Blue is based in Lebanon and has had to face many of the familiar challenges regarding accessing safe spaces in which to record her music, being taken seriously as a female artist and forging a career in a competitive industry. But she's also had to do this in a time of conflict, revolution and collective trauma and in a society that has told her even just being a woman following a career in music definitely isn't okay. Despite this and despite living in a country without much of the music industry infrastructure we might take for granted in the UK and the West in general, Blue has become one of the only female hip-hop producers and label owners in the Middle East today. So trust me, 
this episode will inspire you to follow your heart and take bold steps and chase meaning rather than hollow success in your music. Okay, let's meet Blue. So welcome, Blue, to Girls Twiddling Knobs. It is so great to have you here. And it's really nice to be able to speak to you from Lebanon. So we're stretching beyond the usual UK format, which is the typical Girls Twiddling Knobs guest interview. So it's really nice to chat to you. And we have loads to talk about. So maybe we could start by just discussing, could you share with the listeners who you are, Blue, and the kind of music you make? So, hi, my name is Blue Pfeiffer. I'm an artist, producer, director, and pole dancer. I am um, like to say that I exist in an, an Arabic hip-hop space right now. And uh, I'm also the founder of my own label. It's called Muffy Budget. Translation, there is no budget. And uh, yeah, that's what I do. Very cool. Okay. So obviously you you do a few different things, which in itself, you know, we could talk about for a long time, but I would love to know how did you get into music and what were those first few years? How did they look for you? And what was that like? So when I decided to like actively pursue music, I was like 14 or 15. I was in Lebanon. I decided to drop out of school and try and pursue that. I actually went to England and went to ICMP, which was a very, you know, quite the roller coaster at that age. And then came back to Lebanon and it's been a journey of almost now 14, 15 years of figuring out, you know, who I am artistically and what I want to do and like what my place is in the music and in the artistic scene, specifically here in the MENA region, which is Middle East and North Africa. So yeah, my kind of my musical journey has changed a lot. It was very, in the beginning, very based on like singing and it has changed a lot since then. I do consider myself more, a little bit more of a producer now and singing is kind of just like a part of what I do. So it has definitely developed and, you know, having a label has also like pushed me to be in many different roles and and serve many different hats. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah. Maybe if we could just go back a bit for one minute, I'd love to unpack. You said, you know, you, you went to London and you studied at ICMP. I believe you were doing vocals, weren't you? Um, as your like main area of study blue. Yes. Yeah. And you said it was like a, a roller coaster. Can you describe a little bit more what, what you mean by that? Because there will be lots of people listening who have also gone and studied music and have found it similarly, maybe quite intense, maybe amazing, maybe very challenging. So I'd love to know from your perspective, what do you mean by that? Well, I want to say that so that I can like really speak freely and express myself. This was my own personal experience. And it's like definitely not at all a guidance of what everybody else should do. I think just maybe sharing my experience can be insightful. And also, I think it has a lot to do with expectations. So I, you know, left school. It was a very controversial decision in my community here in Lebanon And, you know, I think my expectations were a bit like, okay, how do I go from this young, inexperienced girl to an artist, I guess, is what I really wanted. And moving there so young and not having any family or friends or any money or, you know, is already very challenging. But also, like, I think that the course is a bit more, or at the time, because, again, this was like 2000, I want to say 
eight or nine, which is a long time ago, was very based on, I think now looking back, like being a session vocalist, which is not at all what I was interested in doing. You know, I'm, I really wanted to like explore who I could be. I wasn't sure of what I sounded like. And it wasn't necessarily a course that made me feel at the time that it was, what do you sound like? What do you want to say? How do we get that out of you? It was more like, how do you apply these very specific theories? Or how do you apply? How do you sound like this person? How do you sing this specific song in the way that this specific person sang it? So it was a uh, very turbulent for me emotionally and in a way, disappointing because I wasn't as excited about the course as I thought it would be. And I left everything behind to do this. And I wanted to prove everyone that it like meant something. And, you know, I had the expectation that if I were to go into that environment, that it was going to bring me something, you know, like I, looking back, it was such an integral part of my experience because I was, I got to be exposed to a very musical environment and be surrounded by like, you know, bassists and drummers and just being in that environment and like being around that language and, and and being exposed to that information at the end of the day was, was very important for me. But I think like direction wise, you know, I think I learned a lot of the things that I don't want to be, or like a lot of the yeah, I guess, honestly, I learned a lot of the things that I don't want to be. So in a way, it was very important and very helpful. But also like managing your expectation as a, as a as an artist or as anybody in the music industry, I think this was the first kind of like, oh, this is not what I thought it would be. But also like, why did I think it would be different? What is my expectation about this? What do I want out of this? How do I get it elsewhere? So it was the beginning of, of, of that journey and also of my, even though I was young, it was kind of the beginning of my adult life, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like you say, there's a lot of, when you're that age and you're so, so, you know, eager to prove yourself, but also get the chances that, that are going to allow you to have a career in something you're really passionate about. There's so much pressure on that thing working out. And then when you get there and you realise, oh, this is actually bit different to what I thought it would be but also you're exposed to so many different people and I think that can be really hard if you're still trying to work out well who am I what do I want to be like what kind of musician can I be but there's so many other people's own stuff going on because you're studying with all these people you're learning from all these people so yeah I and I think you know what what you're describing as well is incredibly brave because you're not just going to a different city, you're going to a totally different country where, like you say, you don't know anyone, you're young, you're trying to get by in lots of ways financially as well. So an incredible amount of pressure. So it was. it's really good to hear your experience though and, and hear how you found that has helped to shape the artist you are today because there will be other people listening who can relate, I'm sure. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about why you decided to go back to Lebanon and what happened when you came back in terms of your artistic identity. Yeah, I mean, listen, to add to what I said before, I think this was now obviously in retrospect, I'm almost 30. I've had some experience in the music industry and like obviously my perspective on everything is really different. And I think it's an indication of so many other things that came in my career and in my life later, you know, it's about what my perspective was like at the time and what I needed out of it. But I was really, you know, unhappy because I had put all kind of my energy and my hopes. Again, I was young and unexposed and inexperienced and I never used to tell anybody that I sang or that I wanted to make music. So this was like my coming out 
to music, like going to London and studying music and saying, I don't know if I can swear, but you know, like to everything saying, you know, I'm just going to do my thing and it not working out necessarily the way that I wanted. And, you know, looking back, I, you know, maybe I'm, a, maybe I was a little bit talented, but there was nothing about what I was doing or how I was at my, how, what my out- output actually was that was going to get me anything that I was expecting to get anyway. Like, I think what happened to me or what I experienced is really fair to where I was and is what I needed. That's what the way I see it now, but I was really unhappy and alone. Again, I was so young and everybody was much older than me. And, and I had been kind of shunned from my community for taking such a decision. So it was not easy for me to be there. And I decided to come back to Lebanon to kind of figure things out a little bit. And when I came back, I got caught up in my first experience here in the music industry, which was performing at weddings and corporate events, you know, working with a company that that does that. So that was like a journey of its own. I got a lot of really tough stage experience because when you perform at weddings or corporate events, it's not very artistic in a way. You're again, a session singer in some way, you're there to do a very specific job and it's not very rewarding in some sense. And I didn't feel like I was growing as an artist, but it was again, looking back, very important because I did like over 300 shows. So I must have learned something, you know, before that. I remember when we used to do those live workshops in ICMP. Oh my God, it was like my worst nightmare to go up in front of all those people. And I would black out completely every single Monday. Just would, I would get off stage and not remember, not remember. I'd close my eyes on stage, just like, oh my God, I want this to pass, you know? When people see me now on stage, they're like, were you always like this? I'm like, not even close. Like I couldn't even accept being exposed like that. And that that was the first experience that kind of, you know, it was so hard to get anyone's attention anyway when you're on stage. So you would just kind of try everything in weddings and, you know, they're not there to see you. So it uh, it was also very important for my live experience growth. And I got to a point where, you know, I was really overworked and underpaid, as they say, and my voice was really messed up. And it wasn't that, you know, like I dropped out of school to do this. And like, I always had a very artistic goal for myself or like to do something that was, you know, just me, like my own thing. And for me to figure out what that meant. So I was always kind of on the pursuit of that. So I decided to kind of stop and try and, you know, because I wasn't necessarily like a very successful writer or like, I didn't know much about like music production at all. Actually, I didn't have any friends or contacts that would help me out out in that. So it was actually a very brave decision looking back to say, I'm going to stop doing this, which was like my only income. And but I've always really been so passionate about like trying to f- tell my story in my way. So after that, it was since, you know, that I was like maybe 16 or 17 when I stopped doing the corporate stuff and just kind of dove into, okay, I'm going to go do my shows and try and perform my own music. And I was doing a lot of covers, but always like rearranging them in, in some way and working with like, I always was very specific about like how I wanted to rearrange things and like even I would have a band that I'd like tell them like, this is what I want the bass line to sound or here. I want to change it up completely. And I loved that part of the process. And I started doing shows and I'm very expressive and I'm very myself in a country like Lebanon, especially at the time, it was a bit controversial for me to just be myself and wear whatever I want to wear. And I was, you know, had some 
exposure, TV exposure, Facebook was starting out. So it was a bit explosive the way that I was exposed and I hadn't fully figured myself out. I worked with, you know, different kinds of bands to do shows and I started doing some festivals and, um, I'm very outspoken, as I was saying before, about who I am or my views or my opinions and like even the activist in me in uh, such a community and a kind of, you know, we are an Arab country and it comes with a lot of uh, taboos and limitations and I'm not like that as a person. So I've always been a little bit met with a lot of controversy and a little bit too much exposure in certain places when I was young and, you know, experimenting and figuring myself out. So that came with a baggage of, of its own. So I would love to come back to um, kind of on that note, but you were saying that, you know, even just going to study music meant that you felt quite, I, th- I think you, s- you used the word shunned or kind of a bit of an outcast. People that wasn't really very accepted in your community. And I'm sure that coming back to Lebanon and then, you know, producing music in this way and um, I'm getting the sense that 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 was still the case. Can you talk a little bit about why that is for people who maybe don't understand why that might be? So, I mean, choosing to leave school to pursue music, I think is controversial. I mean, at a young age anywhere, but specifically in in, in an Arab country like Lebanon, it, it's very outside of the box, especially like double, especially for a girl, you know, and I don't, it, it's not that I like to highlight this all the time, but it's been made very clear to me along the way that this is not at all what is expected from me or, you know, my decisions and my moves are really met with a lot of shock, a lot of like, oh, but does your family support you? And I really would love to say right now that my family is my my backbone. And I don't think that I'd be able to be who I am. Like I'm a, I'm a producer, pole dancer and hip hop in the Arab scene you know like I have them on my corner and they've always been on my corner as much as they could so I'm I feel like that has always given me like um, 10 steps you know ahead of any other female unfortunately that has to deal with so much baggage from her family and I know because I know most of the most of the girls in our field and I know and even the, even the guys, you know, they struggle so much from like their family not understanding at all why this is something that they chose to do. So it's not at all the norm, basically. I've never been necessarily interested in what the norm is, especially coming from a family where I've always really been encouraged to be myself and to explore what that means and not to be controlled by society and taboos. And again, I come from a society that is really very, very, very like heavily uh, influenced by taboos so um yeah i mean it's 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 not easy but i think in my journey now along the way especially in the past few years one of the most impressive things to me has been realizing that just by me being myself i've inspired a lot of people i've i've heard from a lot of people i've heard from a lot of girls and in my position now i've you know i can actually help a lot of people that you know in a way that i you know, with resources that weren't available to me or with guidance that wasn't at all available to me. There has there has not been somebody that has done what I'm doing, you know, in, in my country or even in the Middle East. I mean, listen, 
compared to places like England or like the US or Europe or whatever, I mean, it's a completely different conversation. But to go even further than that, I'm blessed to be in a country like Lebanon as opposed to you know, other countries in the Arab region where I really would not at all get away with what I'm doing. Like I would be definitely, I mean, I've been jailed here, but I would be killed and, and it's, it wouldn't even be an option for me to like be rebellious the way that I am. So I, I think, I think I'm in a perfect position to kind of defy the role that's been projected onto me. You know, I know that my fellow artists in Egypt can't even talk about things happening in the country. Like that's not even an option for them or like, you know, so I, I, I think I'm in a way, I feel like I'm in the right place. I feel like my place is here making that change and representing my people in that way. You know, I've, it's taken me a long time to accept that and even fall in love with that because before it was like, especially before the revolution and the explosion and just all that stuff that has happened in the past few years, it was all about like, how can I be less Arab? Like without even understanding what that meant at the time, you know, how can I be like more foreign and how can I be more what now I will call whitewashed? I used to think that being Arab came with a, with a baggage of me having to change who I was. And it took me a long time and the revolution and everything to really understand how I can take being Lebanese and being an, an Arab woman and... And doing that my way and it's still being just as valid and it being just as important, you know, it's a very stiff and rich, it's such a rich culture. Like it's, it's insane. Like our culture is really, really so rich and it goes so far back and with the music and the food and like, there's so much going on, you know, and I'm kind of presenting it in a different way and in a less complicated way and in a more straight up way. And I say things the way that they are. And I swear in my music and like those things haven't even been done. You know, it's one thing to do that in English where it's been done a billion times. And here it's an act of revolution. It's, it's, I really believe that I had to go through all of that and go to London and, you know, I've lived in LA and I visited so many places and to really figure out that only I can do what I'm doing here in Lebanon. And it's very, very important. It's beyond music. It's beyond it's for me, honestly, what I do is an act of revolution. I, I do feel that me being myself in this environment and me making space for other people and helping like other creatives, specifically female creatives is unmatched with, you know, some, you know, I just think it's very important. It's beyond just making cool songs, which we do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, you do. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to listen to some and talk about some in a bit. But I mean, I mean, Blue, like it, it's so inspiring to hear you talk. And I say that I know that word gets, you know, battered around a lot. But I really mean it. Because I think that on the one hand, there's very there's something a very specific experience that you've had and that, you know, is really incomparable for certainly me and many people listening to this podcast, you know, like you said, it's it's very different doing what you do in the context that you're in as opposed to doing it in the UK, obviously, which is where I live and where I've always lived. But I think that all of us can relate to this sense of when you're younger, having this idea of what success is, mm. and then the older you get, the more you realize, actually, you need something, you need a deeper meaning. 
you know, and the, to me, what I'm hearing as well is like you going off to ICMP and studying vocals and then um, doing all the weddings and, and trying to kind of build up your career and then being really dissatisfied with that. But then finding this this meaning, this cause, this really, really important kind of vehicle to use that those that those musical skills and talents that is always going to be so much more fulfilling than just being successful. And then I think that's when you really step into making a an amazing life, you know, having living an amazing life because this is exactly it. Exactly. Yeah. Like living like li- what you think and then, you know, it's hard to blame us or our younger selves for having that expectation, especially now. I mean, now there's the internet and you have access to artists trying to make it all the time. But I mean, when I grew up being an artist and what success meant or looked like at the time or, you know, what it meant for me to prove why me doing this move was worthy or me being talented enough or worthy enough or beautiful enough or whatever, you know, it just never... I would tick the boxes of all the goals that I thought would make me feel that way. And it really didn't until, you know, you get to a point where, and I, I still, I think that it's a journey and I still have to remind myself all the time, like, look at what you have and where you are. And what you said is very important. Like the life that you live every day, like what, what do I get up? What is my day filled with? What are my thoughts filled with? Like I, I'm so appreciative that I wake up every day and actually work in music, you know, like it's not always easy. It's not always sustainable. Uh, I'm broke a lot of the time, but I, I get to get up and work with my team who are so passionate about what we do. I'm able to give them jobs in the music industry, which is like non-existent in the Middle East. Like it's an achievement to even have a job in music, let alone give jobs in music. And we get to discuss music and concepts and bring ideas to life and work with other people and like fly out other artists from the region and do things that have never been done before or do things that have been done a million times before in our own way. Like honestly, now I feel like I'm living my dream. Like I don't have billions of followers or billions of dollars or whatever success I thought looked like, but I'm, I'm doing something that is very unique to me. Like I, my, my experience and my day-to-day life and my processes and the way that I approach music is really very specific to only what I can offer to myself and not like, oh, this is what this this is how this other person is doing it or this is how I see the people doing no one is in my position in my context with my experience with what I've done and haven't done and to empower myself in that way and to say like I can shape that and as long as I live every day the life that I want to live I really think like you said that is really for me personal success because I know people that have quote unquote made it and have a lot of money and have a lot of followers and they don't necessarily feel that satisfaction it's not the only indicator to happiness at all no and I think that when you see what you are doing positively impact other people that's massive you know and beyond oh I like your music but into wow I never knew I could do this and you you know you're saying that you're hearing from other women saying wow I never thought I could do this thank you for doing this and that's incredible Absolutely. I think maybe when I was young, I didn't have the example, you know, like in the Arab world and in Lebanon specifically, 
if I were to look at successful women in music, it's a very specific role that they play and a very specific genre and a very specific strategy. And it's, you know, it's very, it's heavily based on like a very specific kind of pop and none of them write their own music. And the writers are 99.9%. And that is with research that we've done because we worked on a project with user for, and like, I did not believe, but there is like one female writer. So the, even the perspective of music and lyrics is all men. Like, it's like, you know, there even our greats, like Fairuz, who's one of the biggest, most iconic, you know, singers that have ever lived. I just was very shocked to know that it is really just a male perspective in, you know, a, what a man thinks a woman should be singing about. And there's nothing wrong with men writing, but I was shocked by the lack of diversity and the perspective of the music that we consume. So I never felt like I belonged. I felt like I had to kind of change who I was. So I just didn't identify with it. You know, there, there hasn't been another example for like, oh, I could do it my own way. And I feel like what me and a few other artists in the, in the region are doing is really show, like giving birth to a whole generation, not in a way like, oh, we did this, but just the idea that we can do this is really so inspiring to a lot of people like, oh, so that means I can do my own thing. It's not about being like us or doing exactly what we're doing or like, this is the only way, but like, this is something that's different from everything we've ever seen in our parents and all, all the generations before. And especially with this Arabic hip hop movement, which is actually gaining so much traction and audience and is now influencing how agencies spend their marketing budget, because this is where the audience is. Like, it's really a whole revolution that I, 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 I'm honestly, I feel so blessed to have gone through everything that I've gone through to be able to be where I am today, not just for myself and my music, but to witness my community and the people around me and the artists and the, the waves of impact and, and records that they are breaking in the genre that I never thought, you know, was never given the light of day. So there is a lot of meaning to what we do, and um, especially in countries where we can talk a little bit about our political regime or what's happening in the country, like, you know, in Lebanon and in Palestine and Jordan a little bit. In Egypt, they're really not allowed to talk about much, but I think the people who have the voices, like, it's been really important to express our perspective on things and to call and to call them out and to call the government out and to say, this is what's happening, you know, instead of just being submissive to it. And, you know, again, not to put Arabic pop down because I think it's important, but it's one genre and it shouldn't be the only genre that exists. And the, the only point of view, because it's very either optimist, like, oh, everything's going to be okay. Or like, oh, I miss that person that migrated or like a longing for a love, a longing for a country. I miss Lebanon, but there never is like, this is what's happening and this is what's going on and it's fucked up and people are, are really struggling and, and, you know, and I think it's very important that music brings this message forward, which is what, what I tried doing in Sintel Eo, which was my first song in Arabic. Like I really just spoke about things that are happening and it was very important that it wasn't about me, but it was about the collective feeling and calling out things as they were happening and the explosion happened that year. I mean, that was really a wake up call of like, nothing's going to change. Like, what is the point of not saying anything or doing anything like I think everybody became really much more outspoken publicly about 
their views and their feelings about our our political regime you know it's um unthinkable what's been happening to us for generations and we're tired of being called resilient honestly it sounds like a nice thing and that's what people say about lebanese people but to us it sounds like oh so just shut up and take it and i think we've yeah. lost enough people and have sacrificed enough of you know everybody has lost their money in the banks my everyone's parents and grandparents if you had any money before 2020 it's now been you know <laughs> reduced to basically nothing People are robbing banks now just to get access to their own money to pay for their medical care. Like, this is where we are today. Like, it's really ridiculous to have a platform and not use it to contribute to this conversation because I don't think you can change anything with one song, but just to put a perspective forward, to make it okay to talk about it, to give people just an output. You know, there was no music that I could listen to when we were in the revolution that necessarily made me feel like, oh, this is how I feel right now. I had to stop listening to music for like six months because I felt so bad. I was on the streets seeing just with everyone, like everyone was the same. There was no, you're better, I'm better. You were with everyone in the country. It was impossible for you to feel like you couldn't relate or didn't want to connect or didn't, you know, it was like, we're, we're all in the same, we're all in the same thing. And we are very divided as Lebanese people where maybe... Four million, five, six million now with all the refugees, but we have more sects and more political parties than uh, huge countries with a hundred million people. Like everybody, it's very religious, religious based. It's very, it's a very, very complicated landscape, is what I'm trying to say. So it's been nice to see that this artistic community and platform is one of the only places where people really, really, really have been able to unite and be opinionated and start conversations, sometimes healthy conversations, sometimes not so healthy, but an output, you know, we haven't had an output before. It's really, really important to understand that context and especially to understand you as an artist. And I think that, you know, everything that you're talking about that, like you're saying, you know, it's not always a perfect output or sometimes it it isn't always, you know, um, constructive, but no output, no creative output ever is perfect in that sense, but it's an output and it's a way for people to kind of rally together or, or feel what, feel somebody else is feeling something too. And it not just be a kind of surface level, oh, I miss my girlfriend or, you know, I miss Lebanon or something like that. It's like, no, this, this is actually what we're going through right now in this moment. And from what you've, you've described, I imagine that has been incredibly traumatic collectively and individually so to be able to share that in music is just vital you know I would love to know for you how do you think that has influenced you forging ahead with production you know not just writing and not just singing but producing yourself is that linked into this or is it something different? Production, I started, you know, when I look back, I, I always wanted to express myself artistically and I wasn't so exposed to so much of what that meant. So I think, and I, you know, I thought I could sing or I can sing. I think I can sing. So this was where I like directed my output, but I think, and I never really thought about production at the time because I would, I would always see the forefront, which is the singer. And so like, I like, that's what I wanted, because I thought that that's like how you could express things. And throughout my journey and trying to be a singer or, or a successful singer, one of the biggest, and still to this day, biggest struggles is 
how not to depend on other people because that's really, really, really not stable, not good for you, won't get you very far, will introduce a lot of, I mean, I'm not saying it's not good to collaborate, but I mean, especially as a female artist here, my experiences were very much based like on, you know, walking into studios with men who think that, you know, the the typical i mean it sounds now very reductive you know what i mean like very deja vu you know like the men trying to take advantage of the women in the situation and there aren't any studios here that are women-led or any kind of female figures in the industry that you can like i say this on my social media all the time like if you are a girl in music in this industry in this region and are ever walking into a room that you're not sure of, like, please reach out to me. I have a blacklist. Like, I wish somebody gave me that blacklist when I started because I had to go through all the fucking doors that I shouldn't have entered to uh, with all the wrong people to figure out that, like, because you think, you know, that's what, as an artist, you need to go and make music, right? So that's your first, how do I make music? Oh, you need to meet with a producer because you can't get, like especially at the time there was not no such thing as like online and finding these things easily they weren't so accessible so I tried going and working with a lot of different people and the experiences that weren't that didn't end up very abusive or bad were experiences where I really didn't feel like I could explore artistically my role was very specific and my ceiling was very low and where I could go and how I could come was was always very complicated so you know, I really did wish to be in control of my process. Like, how am I even gonna like, this is how much it's taking to get one song off the ground. Like, how do people do it? Like, this is not even about one song. I'm trying to build my myself as an artist who's creating music. This is impossible. Really, really, it was impossible. And it was like one disappointment after the other, one really bad experience after the other, one sexual abuse after the the other, like really, and I say this openly because like this is not something that we should be quiet about, not something that's cliche, meaning that it's in the past because it's really not, and Mm -hmm. um, people really do abuse their power, and I like, like I really saw, I really see it here, I really see it in the Arab world, and my like advice for artists is to be self-sustainable with putting out music. And and I really try as much as I can, when I can and when I'm capable, to work with female artists or to get on calls with them. You know, not that I have all the info or that I know everything, but if I can like steer you off something that might be bad for you. I know so many girls that got into music, had a really bad experience and left and never came Absolutely. back. I know so many of those. And like, they just now sit in the background looking at what we're doing and they feel so left out and they feel bad. And they, f- you know, like it's not good for anyone. Uh, there yeah. really wasn't a safe space. So I like a big part of my label philosophy is to create a safe space for, you know, even the, the LGBT community. I mean, this was one of the big reasons why I was so controversial and I was so hunted down is because I was one of the first people to say on TV openly, like, yeah, gay rights are gay rights, like as simple as that. But you have to sacrifice big parts of yourself in the in this context to speak out. And sometimes you're able to make that choice. And sometimes you can't afford to make that choice. Sometimes you want to, you know, you want to go to sleep comfortably, or you don't want to like bring this onto your family and It's taken me 15 years to be able to build a platform, connections, people, allies, people around me that I know that I can be very outspoken 
And if shit comes to shit, they're going to be there for me. And, and it's not going to go, you know, it's not going to go by. I'm not going to end up in a ditch unnoticed like I did so many times when I was young and in the prisons. And like, it's it's um, not easy for somebody coming into it. Right now, I'm getting to a place where it's becoming fun because I have cards to play. I have people around me. I have things that I've built. I have, you know, foundations. It's so hard for new artists. So I think taking control of production initially wasn't an artistic choice. It was more of a, how do I stay sane and actually get this off the ground choice? It sounds like it was survival. Oh, yes. Surviving as an artist, you know, you're like, how, like you're saying, you know, because I I just want to kind of echo what you're saying in that even the, the thing that's really frustrating is that even in a culture like, say, the UK, which in many ways, you know, we have, you know, uh, a lot of on surface level equality, let's say, between mm. men and women in particular. But still, you know, the amount of women who've had those experiences that you talk about and that even the, the good experiences they've had are largely where they still don't feel like they're, they're being listened to, they've been respected, their ideas have been taken on board. And at worst, that they've actually experienced sexual abuse and manipulation and coercive control, et cetera, et cetera. So that, and, and that's really frustrating because, you know, people kind of think that that's not the case, but with music and in particular in music production and electronic music, or I should say particularly music production and the music industry, it's still so behind even somewhere like the UK and America where, you know, we like to say that we're really progressive, not necessarily, not necessarily behind mm. closed doors. But I think that what you're saying about as well, women having some really dodgy experiences, really traumatic experiences, and then understandably saying, do you know what? I can't go any further. Like I cannot keep doing this. And I can completely relate to what you're saying of like, if I'm going to keep doing this, I have to have some, some freedom, some independence, some creative control. That's, That's a big part of why I started producing and recording as well. I just knew that otherwise it was going to be, it wasn't just going to be a financial and energy upward battle for me. I was going to have to potentially put myself in some really, really dodgy situations Mm. if I was going to record my music. And that's not a given. So there may be people listening be like, oh, that's a bit over the top. But I think most women will understand that, that there's always that chance that like you saying, you walk through that door and you're at best not respected at worst something else happens you know yeah like at best you know like you're saying at best best case scenario is that I just am safe that's the best case scenario I don't even get to I don't even get to you know have a say in what I'm doing or or have an equal say in the artistic direction which is what I'm interested in anyway I have to fight that hard just to be safe in a room it's it's really not realistic how long can you do that for? You know, yeah, how like long? you said, exactly. it came from a sur- from a survival like, place. Everything I've even having a label—that's not at all what I wanted to do when I was young. You know, and and now this is exactly what I want to do because I understand what mm. that means and like I understand what that offers and the power that it gives me and like I understand fully my position. I'm very very proud and I brag about it a lot because I've spent so many years being a victim and I really don't like that. Mm. That's not what I want my story to be. That's not who. I am that's not you know so yeah yeah, I mean it started from a survival point of view production and eventually I guess I discovered that I really am so in love and 
with making music and making melodies and actually lyrics comes very hard to me and and singing is very like it makes me feel good but like creating the whole scenario and the whole story and and how things are going to sound and you know part of it is having control is 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 like an insane feeling it's like floating just thinking about it especially like when i talk to new artists and they i see in their face how much they wish they could be in control of their music like mm-hmm. i know people that have been waiting for a year two years for that guy to get back to them or this producer to get back to them about this and about that and i'm yeah. like look at me i can sit in this room and put out the song from this room like that kind of power is 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 what I really encourage everyone to do especially in the MENA region. I was having a conversation with a fellow really well-known female rapper in the Arab world who is was telling me like I'm not even supposed to be, you know, uh, worried about these things and I'm just supposed to be worried about like my creative output and I was like, "Listen, I could be telling you you're right, but that does will not make me a good friend and I'm going to be honest with you." this expectation that somebody's going to come and do everything the way you want to do it and on your time and the way that you see it is the beginning of your downfall like you have to get up every day and make the decision of you you have to make the decision constantly like constantly make the decision of this is what it takes i have to be on top of everything i have to be in control of my art i have to be very well informed very well educated i have to spend a lot of time learning about this and about this and about this otherwise make it a part-time thing get a full-time job and come back home and do music and that'll make you feel good you want to be in the game you want to be especially here in the arab game this is shouldn't be how you start and shouldn't be how your expectations start and she was like you're totally right you know and like i we have this these conversations all the time because this is what it is you know i i've had to make a label because we've had to come up like i've had my own processes from working 15 years there has like when i started there was no such thing as brand partnerships like we'd have to i remember going up to companies and event organizers and whatever and presenting them with everything like how they had like we can do this and this can be tied into that and then we can be positioned it this way and then you can market it this way like completely oblivious there there hasn't been, there's no precedent you know there is no years of precedent like other regions there is no industry and like certain gatekeepers and this is what you have to do in formula like you really have to figure it out on your on your own and it's very different for everyone as it is internationally but like there isn't i can't like a lot of artists come to me and they go like oh how how did you do this and i'm like even if i tell you how i did it that's not at all gonna like maybe it'll inspire you in some way but like each person really has their their own journey but i go back yeah. to the same thing if you can produce if you can be in control of your music even if you want to work with other people but having the safety of always going back having the stems being able to finish a project not being stuck forever like this is really very important going into this game or you're going to be lost for a very long time but i really want to say because this is really important to me like production the art of making music and and creating moments in music is what makes you know what keeps me on fire like this is like what i love 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 to do nothing has ever fulfilled me as much as you know putting the marker on loop in that like same like 5 6 8 bars whatever and just playing it on loop for hours before anyone's ever heard it or has any, had any opinion of it and you're just in the studio with your headphones on loop like a, like a disease 
dancing at the possibilities of what you've created and feeling fulfilled and feeling heard and feeling like you understand yourself through this music. Like, I'm so glad that I've had to learn this skill from survival because it is what keeps me alive. Oh my God. I just, I couldn't even say it better myself, Blue. And honestly, I try and I talk about this a lot on the podcast and that picture you painted just says it, you know, that you can have that space that's your own home recording space, for example, maybe you've got a studio, whatever it might be. And you can have that moment where no one's heard it yet. You can just appreciate the creative possibilities and get excited about that and hear it taking shape. And it can be a real expression of, of where you're at and who you are. And I, I, I think that really helps anyone who's listening who's in any doubt, although Girls Twiddling Knobs listeners will not be in any doubt, hopefully by now, that this is really, it's not just about survival. It's about real creative fulfillment and reaching your potential and becoming the artist that you can be. And I think, you know, your your story about talking to your friend, again, I think loads of people can relate to that because, yeah, there are lots of parts of making music which are maybe not what we signed up for. But I think what you say is really important that at the end of the day, you can no no one can give you that formula of how to do it all. But the really important thing is that inside of you, you have the self-awareness and the determination to every single day just ask yourself the question, what do I need to do? It, and it's that rather than I only want to do this or I don't want to do that. It's like, what do I need to do to get this off the ground, to get myself where I want to be? If that's a hobby, that's fine. And there's no shame in deciding, well, actually, they're all things considered. I just want to make music in my spare time. But if you really want music to be something more than that, then you do have to ask those questions and you will have to learn those skills. But I think what your story shows as well is that when you you start learning those skills, you can really discover parts of yourself that you didn't even maybe know were there or new talents, new gifts, new passions. And that's really exciting, I think. Absolutely. It's it's not a matter of like putting anyone down when I say that or like, but no, I think no. the, the romanticizing of what the music industry is is really like, this is how we started the podcast by talking about what I went to London and what my expectation was. Like, I really wish I had more guidance about like, you know, like my family doesn't know, like they're not in the music industry. They just want to support me. Like, I wish I was surrounded by somebody who told me like, yo, this is not how it works. You really need to rethink how this works and what your expectation of it is so that I can then go back to myself and say, how do I fit into this? Do I fit into this? Do I want to sacrifice this much? Is it worth it? And it's and and the worth it part is not about like what it's going to get me in terms of like success. Is it, it will this fulfill me every day when I get up? Production fulfills me. Briefing my team every day fulfills me like 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 nothing before, like being able to do this and being able to be in control. I've tried, you know, I've spoken to the biggest labels in our region and I've 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 been in talks with a lot of people and it's 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 been very clear to me that nobody really even if they have the good intention, it's not necessarily about like people having malice, but they don't have the capability of actually coming and say, oh, we believe in you the same way that I would believe in myself and work on the things like development is something that does not exist in the Middle East. Like mm. the labels or the new groups that are coming up now because of this like crazy wave that's coming out, uh, very inexperienced, you know, so they'll take an artist that's doing really well on streaming or 
like I think is our biggest problem is development, whether it's with a label or outside a label, like development within yourself. All the new artists I know are like working on that one song that's going to, you know, blow them up. And, and I just think like, I mean, you have to go through that if that's what you think and see what comes out, you know, but at the end of the day, is, is it about making a hit song and then not knowing what to do with yourself? Or is it about building yourself so that you can keep making music and you can keep mm. contributing to that conversation and your perspective and how you interpret music and modern music and how it's changing? Or is it about just, I can name so many hit songs that have come out. Like, is this what you want? Like, that's not at all the goal for me. You know what I mean? It's about building the artist that will make these songs or hit songs or whatever you want to call them or whatever hit song means. But you know what I mean? It's always in the pursuit of like, this song is going to be it and that song. And I'm like, it's not about the song. It's about the artist behind that song. And that's where you need to be investing in yourself in, yeah. in like educating yourself. That's been the most important thing, you know, like the internet now, there is no excuse. You can learn anything you want. You can meet any, anyone and anything like we're talking, look like how, how you found me now, like, I don't know, through probably Google or something. Like, this would have never existed, like, before, you no. know? This would have been, wouldn't have been possible for us to have this conversation and unlock these thoughts and show our perspective to different people. Like, the tools are out there and the help is out there. It's really about you managing yourself and your psyche. That's probably the hardest part of the journey, I think. I agree. I totally agree. And speaking of songs, Blue, I really want to just take a listen to a couple of snippets. We're going to take a listen to Sharaf. And then once we've listened to a little section, it'd be great if you could talk us through what that song means to you and, and also maybe a few things about how you made it. <laughs> Can you tell us what what is the meaning behind this song? So this song, it's called Sharaf, which means honor in Arabic. And it's the first song from my album. I mean, the production. So this whole album that's coming out soon, I don't know if it'll be out like by the time this podcast comes out, but it's supposed to be coming out <laughs> soonish or, you know, the songs will start dropping. But I made the music for the entire album in like two weeks in wow. January 2021. And, you know, I thought I would go on to like, oh, look how fast that like, the music just poured out of me. Like, honestly, it was like the beginning of my kind of infatuation with Arabic music. And I had in a way unlocked like how I could bring it to my side of things and the music that I like and the bass that I like that, you know, I like I it really was an outpour creatively. And I made all like the 10, the 10 songs as they still are now that they are written and produced like, you know, the, the, the music was really made in a few days. Sharaf was one of them that like just happened in like two days. And I knew it was going to be called Sharaf even before I wrote the lyrics. So the way that my process has been is that I make the music for everything, like I'll produce and then I'll come up with a concept in my head and then I'll write, you know, and then I'll write. It won't, it, do, it doesn't happen so much anymore that I write. And maybe that's because I've switched from 
English, which was way more comfortable for me before. Like I feel I felt much more practiced in like songwriting in English. But I don't see myself, you know, making music in English right now. I don't I don't think that this serves my purpose or the purpose that I want to be serving. So even though it's it's sometimes challenging to be doing this, especially like Arabic is a bit little bit stuck up and you know, of what you can do with Arabic and how much you can play with it and how much slang you can put it. It's all very virgin and all very new. So no matter what you're doing, you're putting yourself up to a lot of criticism when it comes to like the, how you're saying things or, you know, it's, it's a very beautiful and complicated language. So I, I knew that it was going to be called Sharaf because of the, you know, the strings and the way that it sounded. And I think one of the samples are even from Apple Loops. Like I didn't even... It just came together so fast in terms of like the emotion and the drama of it. And so the the way that it came together in the lyrics is it's basically my confession right before I'm about to, let's say, commit something or do something or embark on a new journey. So I'm saying the bullet is sealed, fate is sealed, you know, like in a way there's nothing I can do about this. I have to just accept and do what I need to do, even if it's not. You know, I have to do it out of honor and I have to do it out of this. And there is a way of like an acceptance of the bad, the good and the bad. And even if I have to be to be a villain, this is who I have to be. And I have to do it for the greater good. It's kind of that emotion going into the album and going into what I'm about to put myself out there. And from a personal, you know, from a personal perspective, I know what I'm about to do. And I know that the album I'm about to put out is going to put me in so many different situations, good and bad. But I know that I have no choice but to do it. And from another layer, I was very inspired by I was at the time watching videos. Like I remember there was this story, which honestly happens all the time and every day. But sometimes you'll get like a story that will get a lot of traction online about this Lebanese woman that killed her daughter out of honor because she, I guess, lost her virginity before marriage because someone raped her, which I just like it completely like consumed me for so many days because I had to put my, and you see this woman and she's so sad. She's like, I like, like in a way she had to do it, like from her culture and her tribe, they come from, you know, a, a specific tribe with specific beliefs. She feels like she did the right the right thing, but she still mourns her daughter every day and talks about how amazing her daughter every day. And it just put me in this space of like how much we have to take for society and culture and these things that have been imposed on us to the point where you would go and murder your own daughter for something she wasn't even guilty of. Like that just put me in the mindset of so many Lebanese people and 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 especially in the situation we're in with the with the economic situation with the safety situation like people have to do things that they didn't think they'd have to do or rob or do whatever they have to do out of survival because we're there because we're there and it's very hard to judge people for it now like i'm not necessarily talking about the women but you know it's very multi-layered feeling of having to do something that you maybe necessarily at your best point in your life would never think that you would do, but things have changed and the world has burned down and now you have to make your choices. So this is what this song was for me. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's really amazing kind of hearing how, what it means to you personally, but also from a, a bigger kind of cultural perspective and yeah, just us having to make these decisions and how our culture shapes, whether we think they're right or wrong. 
you know, and how our culture shapes whether other people think we're right or wrong as well. I just want to give a shout out to Mahirak, who was with me on the song, who I had been trying to work with for a long time. He is very, you know, just a very, I won't get into his story so much, but he is very inspiring to me. He He's, um, you know, Syrian-Palestinian who's lived a refugee life his whole life and uh, has had a very, very extremely turbulent life. And uh, I think he's just I- insanely talented and I love his voice. And the verse that he gave me was very personal to him. And it, it, uh, it's, a, it's a lot, you know, it's, uh, I, it's like a sign of respect to get that from uh, um, a man in his position and from his culture. And, you know, he talked about really personal stuff and I, I really treasured that. And he is, now in refugee status in France. So we had to do this remotely and even shoot the video remotely. Like we spent all our, re- wow. I really wanted to include him in the song and to give him like that kind of space in the music video. So we like sent someone to go meet him somewhere in a room and like we did it on Zoom and it was just really loved working with him on this. So the next song, Sfiha. <laughs> so the seven represents a letter in Arabic that, resembles the number seven that doesn't exist in English. So we write, that's why maybe you you see that we write a lot of things with numbers and stuff because they represent letters in Arabic that don't exist in English. So the seven in this case is ha, which is means sfiha. And sfiha is actually, um, how, how can I describe sfiha? It's a type of food. It's like a minced meat with a lot of spices over like some kind of pastry. And there's a lot of, conversations about what the original sfiha is and what is you know it's a it's a big cultural thing and in this specific song sfiha is because you bring sfiha at a funeral or kind of an ironic song i i did it with two talented artists from lebanon that i wanted to highlight that we worked with as a label i really loved producing that i had the rapper over the main rapper al-dirani and I had made, you know, he was like a drill, really hardcore rapper. And I had made this really like dark beat for him. And he was just like really struggling to tell me that he, he you know, in a way he was like, but I'm working with you. I want to come your way. Don't try and come my way. Like I want to do something, you know, and I showed him a bunch of songs that I had like from my album and he heard this beat for Sfiha and he was like this one. And I was so shocked that he chose it and then it kind of came together and the guy who was his manager at the time just wrote the hook in like five minutes and I was like you have to be on the song and it was a very I think it was the first time ever that I had a collaborate like because with Mahrak he was remotely so it was not the same situation it was the first time that I was in a room with the two grown men and I was fully in control and I was calling the shots and it was a beautiful environment and they trusted me and I really pushed them to be comfortable the same way that I would, I will, you know, because I think comfort is something that a lot of people don't understand how important it is to be comfortable, to be able to be creative or to create a safe space where like no idea is bad and there's no judgment here. We'll just keep going back and forth. We'll enjoy it today. We'll listen tomorrow. We'll see what needs editing. Like this is really important for me as a producer to, to like to create that environment. So it was like great to experience finally a collaboration that came from a place that was, you know, just good vibes. And we just had, had fun making that song. And I made a verse that turned out to be very controversial, which is great. Yeah, that was really fun to make. That was really, really fun to make. <laughs>
دايما انا حبلة فيكو من زمن بوجه اختصير الكلم لا وجهك يضلو بالتمن وقعد حسو بالامان لحظة الزل فيكو بيالحين في غضب وعنفو في حنان في التنفو وسخ للدنين سوري بابي نوصيتو مامي Now that we've heard a couple of sections of your some of your tracks, I'd love to know what part of the recording and production process do you love the most, Blue? I guess what I mentioned earlier, like when anything comes together, even if it's just the the kick and the snare and the hi hats, and then like oh you'll you'll it'll finally take shape and you'll just like play it on loop and you're like oh i'm supposed to like write more but i just want to enjoy it the way that it is and then you'll add the bass and then you'll be like oh this bass line and then you'll hear it and you'll just when things kind of show you i feel like the song shows me what it's supposed to be through my obviously like myself and my expression but like it's a conversation between the music i think that's my favorite part when like anything comes together whether it's the music or the vocals but just like that moment of like I love it like and just listening to it and projecting yourself onto this and as you're listening to it it's making more sense with every listen or it's making more sense what you need to change or what where you need to take it differently I think I think this is my favorite part my my worst part is the, <laughs> it's the mixing part I hate that part. <laughs> <laughs> why is that Well, up until this year, I didn't know how to mix. So I like after producing and listening to the song a billion times and knowing how you want it to sound and then sending it to a mixing engineer and it always coming back and it always being like, I always had to prepare myself emotionally. And it wasn't, it's not about the mixing engineer not being good or anything like that, but just like I have very specific maybe vision of what I want it to sound and what I want to be upfront. And then in a way it feels butchered. And then maybe I didn't have the right language and the right vocabulary and knowledge to be able to get it to where I wanted to. And, you know, in a sense, I'm like, I'm totally in control of this production. And then you export the demo and that's the way that it is. But then in the mixing process, due to so many things and time and back and like, I know for a fact that I've been like all the mixing engineers worst nightmares with 17,000 recalls. And I'm still not, it's still not there. Like I don't blame them at all. <laughs> But this year I was very enc encouraged, you know, by somebody that I really respect who's an incredible artist and also his own mix and mastering engineer. He's an amazing artist. If you haven't heard of him, his name is Bukultum. He's one of our, you know, pioneers. And he was just telling me, like, why don't you do it yourself? Like, you know exactly what you want to hear. Like, all you need to do is... And I always felt like, you know, nobody told me that I could do it before. Nobody told me that, like, oh, but you can just learn. I just thought that that's a skill that's so far from me. Like, okay, I learned how to produce. That's enough. That's enough, you know. But for somebody like me, who's very specific... I wish that somebody would have told me earlier, like, you can totally do it. Like, uh, you can learn and you maybe won't be great at first. And just like any skill, you'll get better. And the more you do it, you'll get better and get feedback from the people that you trust. And and the second he told me that, I, like, took a course. And in two weeks, I started mixing my album. And it's, like, another layer of, like, the same as learning how to produce was so freeing. Learning how to mix was one of the best moments of my life because honestly, it was the worst process in, of the music, like the, the, my least favorite, most disturbing <laughs> part of the process. 
so I've, I'm I'm very happy that I'm mixing now, and hopefully I'll go on to have more uh, courage and self confidence to learn how to master as well. Because mm. yeah, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, and I think that you know, so coming back to something you said further towards the beginning of our conversation, the great thing is is that when you learn a bit more about these skills. You can then collaborate with somebody, but choose to collaborate with somebody, not feel like you have to collaborate with someone. And then you're kind of at the mercy of their timetable. If if you start working with someone and they're not pulling their weight or it's just not a very good match, you don't have to work with them because you have some kind of understanding yourself. But also then you have a bit more confidence to go and, you know, work with some someone different if you still want to collaborate. And and even to collaborate, to have that language, like I, it, when I was learning how to mix, which wasn't this long ago, it was this year, I had so many realizations about what I was doing wrong in terms of how I was communicating my feedback, my needs, like in so many places where I like maybe blamed the engineer and like, oh, I told him a million times, but it was the wrong. I was asking, you know, I was talking about reverb when I wanted to talk about something else. And I was talking about, mm. you know, I like just learning, just even if you don't want to fully go into mixing and mastering, but like learning about it and understanding at least the base concept of EQing and compression mm. and time-based effects, just like the basics will help you <laughs> you know, in the process, like, I I totally had those moments where I was like, Oh, so that's what I should have told him about that. And this is what side chaining means. And this is what I meant by things sound like this, but that's not the right word. So this is what he fixed instead, like, it makes sense. So I feel like if I were to work with another mixing engineer down the line, I would know exactly what to tell him and what to communicate and how that flow would be because, you know, instead of just expecting them to know what I want based on my muddy demo, you know? Yeah, 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 totally. And thinking about what's coming up over the next few weeks and months, Blue, I know you said that you're going to be releasing your debut album. When do you think that will be? And what will that be called? And what can people look forward to? So I'm really, really excited about this album. Like I told you, I made the music in in a very condensed period of time. And then it was like maybe two years after of so much learning about music, about mixing, about production, about myself and what I wanted to say, because even though I had made the music, I think it took me a long time to really, it's, it's every word I'm saying is very important because one, it's never been said in that way. So I, I like feel a responsibility towards myself, but also, also like I want other like I know a lot of people will appreciate this music and I'm I'm I love my international audience but I do feel a responsibility towards my my region and giving you know give giving them that voice in a sense like hearing this sentence being said that way or or just hearing me say I don't give a fuck which has been said two billion times in English yet it has not been said once by a female in the Arab world so I want to say I don't give a fuck in a song. And I, I want that to inspire people to say whatever they want and to be able to channel that through like the Arabic language and, and, and be proud of their culture. And so this album is very much that to me. The production is something I'm really, really proud of. I have a lot of solos. I have a it's very hip hop based, but it's also very cinematic. There's a lot of strings and there's a lot of like heavy synth. 808 basses, uh, like the, the Arabic percussion. And it's really, I feel like the first offering that represents like who I am. And, and, and um, I, 
just really I'm excited to put this music out for me because I feel like you know I'm talking to you and like you're listening to the songs that you heard which I love but I'm like so excited for you to have a the kind of an insight as to what I've been working on because I feel like it represents me a lot and it it addresses a lot of the things that I guess I want to be addressed and and it expresses me and and a lot of it is very aggressive also because I do feel like I have to come into this really male dominated uh, Arabic hip hop scene in in that way at least for my first offering so it is very intense and aggressive in certain places it's a bit playful in some songs but like the the pre- predominant is very like you know jerkaris <laughs> yeah <laughs> I don't know if you've watched Game of Thrones, but that's what my album yes. sounds like, like Drake Harris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I get what you're saying. You know, you, you, you know, you need to make a statement and you need to hold your ground. Exactly. It should most of it be out by the end of the year. What it's called, I don't actually know what it's called yet because it was supposed to be split between two volumes, and now I. I'm not sure if I'm going uh, to do that, but I'm very sure about like the flow of the songs and the chapter. If you go on YouTube now, you'll see that Sharaf is zero two, and eventually the whole story will be completed. It's through chapters, and each chapter, you know, is a part of the character development and how I turn into a villain and why. And I'm very passionate about the story in this album, so hopefully I can bring it forward to life through videos which i'm very passionate about but have don't have that much money to you know always do what i want so i'm always having to go back and rechange the video like the music part is done but like i need to figure out how to how to present it you know that's the tricky part for me now great well it sounds wonderful and i've really enjoyed getting to know your music and i have oh my god thank you so much <laughs> no, I've, I've, I'm so glad to have you on the podcast. I feel honoured to be able to, you know, share your story with my listeners, and I know they will find it really inspiring. So, thank you for taking the time. It's been awesome. No, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for this platform. I think it's really, really, really important. I like, I, I want to say that what you're doing is so important and so necessary. And at the same time, I feel like we shouldn't have to like highlight specifically like female. Like, I think you know what I'm saying, but nonetheless, yeah, yeah. I'm so grateful for platforms like yours. And I hope that we'll get more of those around my region as well. And I'm really, really, really grateful for you giving me this platform. And I hope that I've, you know, offered maybe a different perspective um, from where I come from. Thank you so much, really. Okay, I think this is officially one of my all-time favorite podcast episodes. I know I'm not meant to say that, but come on. What an incredible woman. I just loved hearing Blue share how rolling up her sleeves and starting to produce out of creative survival has led to her discovering a process she has fallen in love with. Hearing the beat for the first time, expressing that feeling you just have to communicate and doing it in a space where you're in control and feel comfortable. Scene of Twiddlers, it's not just me banging on about this stuff. Learning to record and produce yourself, even to a small degree, will transform your opportunities in music. Listen to Blue. But another thing I think we could all take from what Blue shared is how many challenges she's had to face as an artist on top of the usual issues we discuss here on the podcast so regularly. 
Blue hasn't had to just work out how to get a record deal. She's had to become a record label because there just wasn't the industry infrastructure in Lebanon to support what she was doing as an artist. She hasn't just had to learn to record and produce herself. She's had to do so in a context where people have shamed her and even arrested her for expressing herself. And while I know there will be some people listening to this who have also faced some similar challenges... And surviving and thriving as a woman in music, wherever you live in the world, still isn't easy. I hope Blue's story inspires you to make the very, very most of all the choices and opportunities you maybe do have, despite the issues you may still be facing. If you loved listening to Blue's music and want to find out more, I've linked to her music in the show notes. I can't wait to take a listen to her new album when it's ready. Now, next week's episode is definitely for you if you've ever fallen out of love with music. As artists, we go through so many ups and downs, successes and disappointments, and it's not uncommon to start to become disconnected from why we're really doing this whole music thing. I mean, you'd have to be a glutton for punishment, right? But I'll be joined by musician and producer Penny White to hear how learning to record and produce herself helped her totally fall back in love with the music-making process. It's a journey that made her self-produced music track of the week on BBC Introducing and Penny herself more fulfilled than ever before as an artist. But till then, take care and I'll catch you here soon. Girls Twiddling Knobs is hosted and produced by me, Isabel Anderson, with production support from Jade Bailey. The show notes are compiled by Francesca O'Connor, and this is a female DIY musician production. So, how do you like that episode, dear listener? If you loved it, And you know someone else who would love it too. Be a good friend and share it with them. Go on, spread the girls' twiddling knobs love.